You're good. You're good. Good morning. Good morning. All right. All right, this morning we are going to be starting in Jeremiah. So if you guys want to go ahead and turn there, we will not be going through it chapter by chapter, verse by verse, anything like that. It's a pretty big book. Um, to be honest, it's kind of a weird book. It's organized um, in a way that you don't see other books organized. <laughs> um, it, it, it's more described as kind of an anthology because it's, it's broken up into different poems and then it's broken up into more like a, a narrative, like storytelling. And to be honest with you, even timeline-wise, the book jumps around a little, okay? So sometimes it's going to be a little hard to follow, uh, but we are going to be starting Jeremiah 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. We are going to start from the very beginning. Reason for that is we're going to lay a little bit, bit of excuse me, lay a little bit of groundwork when it comes to this prophet. Okay, so let's go ahead and read uh, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, <clears throat> the, sons, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin. All right, so now we have exactly where we know where he's from. The best way to think about this is Anathoth is a Levite village that is about a day's walk south of Jerusalem, okay? Uh, so it'd be, if we think about it in modern terms, uh, Jeremiah's from Wardsville, a small little community outside of the capital, okay? That's what he is. He's a Wardsville guy, all right? And uh, his dad, which we get in here, right, son of Hilkiah, is also very important. We're going to get that here in a second, okay? Um, let's go ahead and move on. Now we kind of get an idea of where he's from. Like I said, he would have seen Jerusalem. Let, let's make that clear, okay? Even though he's not in Jerusalem, he, like the, where this town would have been located, he could have went right there. There it is. Like he could have seen the capital. So he knows the environment. He knows the people, okay? Even though if he wasn't actually from the town, all right? Just so we were clear about that. Jeremiah 1, 2, next verse. To whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. All right, so now we got a geographic location and we have a timeline, all right? So King Josiah is the last good king of Judah, all right? That, that's the argument there. He's the last really good king. And he became king, we talked about this a little bit last week, at the age of eight. It actually absolutely blows my mind that that's like Isaac, my son, being king, or in our modern terms, becoming president. How stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, there's nothing against Isaac. It's just like, really? Like, that's what we're doing here, you know? But like, I couldn't imagine an eight-year-old, like, having that much authority, right? So let, let's jump forward a little bit. Now we're in the 13th year of his reign. So whenever uh, Jeremiah has started his ministry, the king is 13 years old, Okay. And most of us would sit back and like, he's just a kid. Like, wh why would anyone give him this much authority? Here's the cool thing that's going to happen, though, is that even during this timeline, he's going to make a lot of good changes. At a, as 13-year-old boy, he's the smartest one there. <laughs> um, so let that sink in for a moment, uh, because what he's getting ready to do is like this great revival, or at least attempt this great revival of the nation, okay? Well, like I said, we're, so we're laying this groundwork about Jeremiah. So in order to do that, we need to take a quick little sidestep, and I want to talk a little bit more about these two other characters, okay? King Josiah and uh, Jeremiah's father, Hilkiah. In order to do that, we need to head over to 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to read a little bit about that, okay? Um, so in this passage, as you're turning there, I'm going to just give you a little bit of background, okay? Um, 2 Kings chapter 22, 
King Josiah, right, boy king, has told Hilkiah, who is at the time the high priest, and he says to him, hey, I need you to go find money in the temple, okay? We've had all these craftsmen and people come and do these much-needed repairs to the temple, and you need to pay for it, okay? So I need you to go through, and I need you to look and try to find some money to pay these craftsmen, okay? A very, very good thing to do, right? And so Hilkiah is in the middle of trying to find this money, but in verse 8, what he gets excited about, right? I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. So he's going through, I mean, he's flipping the couch cushions over, right? Trying to find the quarters, right? That's basically what he's doing here. Trying to find any money he can in order to pay these craftsmen, everything like that. But instead he stumbles upon the actual book of the law, right? Deuteronomy, Leviticus, all that, right? That's what he has stumbled upon. Let's let this sink in for a moment. He found the book, which means up until this point, forever how long, the book was not found, (laughs) Okay, this is in the temple. There is no book of the law being read, being used, being... The guy doesn't know where it's at up until this point. The high priest prior to him probably left like a series of instructions like, okay, make sure the altar's cleaned every night, feed the animals, make sure you, you you dust the lamps, everything like that. Nowhere on this list does it say, read the book of the law because I don't know where it's at, right? Like, so, uh, like, let's let that sink in as we're moving forward, that the book of the law is not in the temple right now, okay? At the same time, over in Second Chronicles, it gives us a little insight into the heart of King Josiah, because at one point it says that he was seeking the Lord prior to this event, Okay, the law had not been refound yet at that point, and still the king was like seeking the Lord kind of on his own. Okay, I think it's in Second Chronicles is actually where it says that. So they find the book of the law, and <clears throat> excuse me, and they give it to the secretary to the king. Okay, move forward a little bit to Second Kings twenty-two ten through eleven. Okay, let's read this real quick. Then Shaphan the secretary told the king, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. Just some random book. It seemed pretty interesting. We should read it, right? And he reads it before the king. And what's the king do? Here's his immediate reaction after hearing the book of the law. When the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. Now, if we've been following along with kind of like Old Testament imagery and such, when, we, when you tear your clothes, and um, usually is paired with this idea of putting on sackcloth and everything, what, what's, that, what's that mean, right? It's repentance, right? It's a sign of repentance. It's a, rep- a sign of turning to, the, turning to God and everything, right? Feeling sorrow. All of that is broke, you know, in that imagery of tearing your clothes, putting on sackcloth. So at this particular moment, after hearing the word from God, the king immediately after it grips his heart, turns to God. He had, like the book of the law has not been written, uh, read in no telling how long up until this point. And that's the king's immediate reaction. Sometimes it only takes a single person being gripped to the heart by the word of God to make some serious change. And that's what we're about to see. The word of God grabs a hold of this king. And he immediately, now granted, he has the authority of being king. So he can make these kinds of changes. 
But let's personalize this a little bit and, and, and think about what, what are your barriers, maybe this morning or in your life up to this point, that doesn't allow the word of God to truly grip your heart. I, I can remember to this day the, the passage in Matthew that finally gripped my heart to the point where I fully sought repentance in the Lord. Now, granted, not everybody has a story like that where it's like, it was this, or it was this moment, or I had this, like, at this particular time, you know, July 16th, 1978, whatever it is, that's the day I was saved. Some people have that, some people don't, okay? I know that I have a group of scripture. I can't tell you what day it was, okay? But if, if you're sitting here this morning and you are saved by the grace of God, you can think back to what was that moment? What was that time? What, what, how did the Lord speak to me that finally gripped my heart? And, and maybe you can go back to the event and hold on to that. But the other side of that coin, the flip of that coin, is maybe right now through your pride, maybe through whatever means, whatever it is. Maybe you had a bad church experience. Maybe you had a bad God experience. Whatever that is, what is that barrier this morning that you feel is keeping you from allowing him to grip your heart? And maybe this is a question you answer to yourself sitting in your seat this, this morning, okay? Or maybe you need to pray, pray later about it. But we're, we're going to continue to unpack this a little bit more. But I just want to be able to ask that question while we are sitting here, while we see this, this boy king gripped and make change. Because at the end of the day, the human heart not directed by the word of God is aimless and destined for evil intent. I'm going to read that again. The human heart, not directed by the word of God, is aimless and destined for evil intent. And we see this because up until this point, Israel, Judah, all of it, they're in a bad way. And this isn't like they, uh, they just stopped going to church. They didn't feel like it anymore. Like they're doing evil things. We're going we're gonna to talk about that a little bit more later. Right now, let's, uh, let, let's talk a little bit more about timeline. Just because we are getting ready to go into some major prophets um, over the next little bit here. And I, I want to talk about that a little bit, okay? So let's circle back around. We're going to talk about Jeremiah and how it all kind of fits. Um, I do have a graphic I want to show. If we can go ahead and pop that up there, if you don't mind. And um, so history is a funny thing. Um, as we're getting that up here. So history is a funny thing. Um, you can get multiple sources that sometimes tell you different things. And, you know, this started this day and this started that day and whatever, right? And you, you try to research it out and you try to get like as close as we can, okay? And um, <clears throat> we'll keep going, see if I can find it. But um, it's just a good illustration because what I want to do is kind of simplify it because up until this point, um, maybe you're starting to get to the point where it's like, I've heard this before, right? Like, I'm starting to hear a repetitive message here a little bit, maybe. Um, you're starting to hear like, uh, uh, ah, there we go. All right. And maybe it's like, oh, okay, here we go again. Here we go again. And it might be a little hard to read, but don't worry. I'm going to kind of read it. And so we kind of know what's going on. Okay, a little bit. All right. So let, let's, let's simplify things a little bit and just focus on just a couple major things. All right. There's many more events that could obviously go on to this timeline. <laughs> okay. Uh, this is very simplified. Okay, this is what we need to worry about. Okay, so if you see the dark blue, there's Jeremiah. That's what we're talking about this morning. Um, next week, we'll be talking a little bit more exhaust, and then that will actually be in Jeremiah again, 
in two weeks from now. Okay, so we're going to be in Jeremiah for a little while as far as pulpit preaching, okay? And then you can see the two nice big events there, the fall of Jerusalem and King Cyrus releases the Jewish people. Spoiler alert, they get to come back, okay? Um, but you see this. Now, if you see the different colors, we see a bunch of overlap, right? We see all these major prophets that we're going to come into, and then we're all overlapping over the same stretch of time, Okay? Look right here in the beginning. It says, reign of King Josiah. And we've got some numbers up there. You see how it overlaps with Jeremiah just that little bit. So Jeremiah and King Josiah are all kind of starting here at the same time. Okay? These, these numbers are fairly accurate, let's say, within a few years. Okay? If you read, like sometimes they'll say, like, this started in 687, then another thing's going to say 685. Within a few years, this is pretty close. Okay, and we can even post this on Facebook later so you guys can look at it in more detail. But I just wanted to see, we're going to see some overlapping messages coming up. Okay, because all these prophets are kind of talking around the same events happening at the same time. Okay, I just want to make sure we, that we, kind of, we kind of see that, that that's what's happening. I am a big believer that sometimes, yes, coincidences happen. Okay, um, it just so happened that this event happened with this event and everything like that. But when it comes to the overall biblical storyline, I don't necessarily believe in coincidences. Okay, I don't believe that it was a coincidence that we got King Josiah seeking the Lord, Jeremiah's dad finding the book of the law, Jeremiah as a prophet, and all of this starting and happening around the same time, right before the fall of Jerusalem. So you've got Jeremiah, you've got his dad, you've got this king trying to make some changes, and this last-ditch, like, Hail Mary effort from God is telling all of them, repent, turn, because there's a promise I don't want to keep, but it's coming. That's the thing with God. He always follows up with his promises. And that can be good or bad. And, and this is what we have here. Right here at the very beginning. Like I said, we've got a good king. We've got a prophet coming up. And they're all saying the same thing. Turn. Turn to God. And the first like five to seven chapters of Jeremiah is all that. It's all Jeremiah kind of just declaring out like, look at all this evil that you guys are doing. Don't you know what's coming? You know the same promises I do. And nothing happens. Josiah makes some good changes, yes. But ultimately, the fall of Jerusalem still happens. Ultimately, the exile, it all still happens. And this is pretty much what we get in the first, like I said, five to seven chapters of Jeremiah. Going back to him, Jeremiah was a reluctant prophet. And we actually read that in verse one, or excuse me, chapter one. Um, and he himself being a boy, actually. Josiah and Jeremiah were both kids when they started their ministry. And uh, so he was a reluctant prophet, much like Moses. He even kind of says the same thing. Jeremiah's like, I don't speak well. You know, so, I mean, he's from the, he's from the Podunks, right? He's from the little village outside. That's not a dig at Wardsville. Um, so, sorry about that. Uh, but <laughs> I, I come from a town of 81 people. 
I can make fun of myself at the very least, okay? So, but that wasn't a dig at Wardsville. But you know what I'm saying, right? He comes from the little village outside the capital city. You know, he's like, I don't, I don't talk as eloquently as these guys from the capital city and all this. And God's like, no, we're doing this, right? So you see some very similar callings that you would with Moses. And this is probably intentional, right? So, you know, anyone that reading that, would like, they'd make that connection, okay? Um, so you see that, but actually, whenever you read Jeremiah, when you hear how God speaks through him, you end up seeing more of a voice that's similar to Jesus. Um, and actually, Jesus actually quotes Jeremiah twice. Um, and in essence, you're going to see that a lot as we read these prophets. Okay, you're going to see a message over and over in different ways, spoken in different ways, but ultimately it's the same thing, you know? Um, it, it's kind of like, uh, not to put ourselves on some kind of pedestal here, but, you know, so David will come up here and he'll preach a message and he'll say it one way, right? Then Nathan will come up here and he'll preach a message and he'll say it another way. But it's like, it's the same message, you know what I'm saying? And it, it's not because, you know, there's no, <laughs> there's just no good content in the Bible, so we have to make this up and it's usually the same thing. Like, that's not it. I believe that it's repetitive for a reason because David's going to say something in a way that somebody in here is it's going to click, right? And then Nathan's going to say it a totally different way and then it's going to click, okay? And we're going to see that the same way with all these prophets coming up. Um, that's why you got, you know, the, is it the words of Jeremiah or is it the word of the Lord, right? Yes, the answer is yes, okay? Um, Spend too much time on it. That doesn't matter. Um, so anyway, he, he sounds more like Jesus and what he's trying to get across, okay? And he quotes Jesus a couple times, but one of the most popular ones is the one I want to point out, okay? Everyone remember <clears throat> when Jesus goes into the temple and he gets in there and he sees all the money changers and he sees all these people selling the temple approved sacrifices and all of that, right? And he gets in there and he gets just completely angry, right? He gets just really upset. He gets there and he starts you know, tossing over tables and kicking people and what, well, he's probably not kicking people, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's just getting really angry. He's doing all these things and just destroying all that. Does everyone remember what he calls it? A den of thieves or robbers or right, depending on your translation. Exactly. Okay. So he's quoting Jeremiah there. Actually, so Jeremiah 7.11 is what he's quoting, okay? Has this house, if you guys want to turn there real quick. Sorry, I'm not giving you time. Jeremiah 7.11 is what we're getting ready to read. Okay, it's going to be up here too. Has this house, which is called by my name, this is God speaking, right? God speaking through Jeremiah, so let's listen to that, okay? Has this house, which is called by my name, Lord's name, become a den of robbers in your eyes? Behold, I myself, the God, God right? I myself have seen it declares the Lord, okay? So we're seeing Jesus, quote himself, <laughs> right? Um, later on in, in the temple, this idea of this den of robbers and everything like that. So what is it that gets God so angry that he's tossing over tables and he's kicking stools and he's doing all of this stuff? What is it that's getting him so upset? I mean, think about the people that would have been following him at that time. Jesus, I mean. Like, they're following him, they're, they're outside of the town, and Jesus is up on a rock, and he's preaching, like, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, and it's all this, oh, man, what, that's so great, that's so great to hear. I love this guy, right? I'm going to follow him, and when they follow him to Jerusalem, and they get in there, and the guy just goes berserk in the temple. Like, th think about the people, his followers right there going, whoa, <laughs> is this the same dude? Like, what's he doing, right? Like, 
let's, let's be honest. It would give everybody pause if one Sunday morning I came up here, started preaching, got really upset, and kicked a hole in this monitor. It would give you pause, right? So, so what is it that would get God so upset? Okay? Jeremiah 7, 9 through 10, which is right before that, tells us that. Will you steal, murder, commit adultery, swear falsely, make offerings to Baal, and go after other gods that you have not known? Let's stop right there for a second. I love how God words this. Not just go after other gods, but other gods you don't even know. He's, he's looking and he's like, guys, we've been through some stuff. We have a relationship. I'm your father in this. Like, what's going on? Like, you don't even know these guys. And you're giving them your praise. You're giving them money. You're giving them whatever. You're giving them your children. Let's point that out for a second. You don't even know them. At one point, actually, in Jeremiah, um, this off the top of my head, because I honestly don't remember where it is, but God at one point says, what have I done that makes your fathers walk away from me? I think about it, like the God of the entire cosmos is sitting there telling his people, like, what, what did I do? What did I do that was so bad that you had to go and betray, betray me to these people you don't even know? Like, you guys can feel that. You guys can feel where he's at with that. Watch a soap opera, right? There's all the time you see, like, families betraying each other for, like, this random guy that came into town or whatever, you know, how storylines work or whatever, right, on soap operas. But, I mean, you can feel that, this idea of portrayal between family and stuff. And that, that's how God's feeling. He's, he's not, he's feeling that, um, like, like I said, later on Jeremiah, he's feeling this in here. Like this, this is the heart issue that God is seeing in his people. You're, you're going after these people you don't even know. Verse 10, and then come and stand before me in this house, the temple, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered. Only to go on doing these abominations. God is looking right past their actions, right past everything they would do in quote unquote church at the time knowing very well they're coming in, they're sacrificing the goat just to go right back out on the street and sacrifice a kid. He gets it. He sees it. He's seeing right through the actions into their heart. Den of robbers. The same anger that boils up in Jesus later on in the temple. Where their heart is. He's looking right past, right past the pretense. He goes, I know what you really feel. I know where you're really at. And even though I know that, there's a promise I don't want to keep. I send Jeremiah. I have the law be found. I put a good king in there trying to make you all realize I'm right here. And you're choosing to ignore me. God's recognizing this heart here. And he, he's still not giving up. He's still not giving up. So the Lord continues to warn and provide opportunity for grace and forgiveness. 
Let's go ahead and skip forward a little bit. Jeremiah 8, chapter 8, verses 4 and 6. 4 through 6, excuse me. The Lord's just sitting here still pursuing. Even in the stealing, the murder, the, the adultery, the, all of that, all that huge list, he's still pursuing. Verse 4. You shall say to them, thus says the Lord. Again, God's talking, right? When men fall, do they not rise again? If one turns away, does he not, uh, sorry, does, if one turns away, does he not return? Why then has this people turned away in perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit. They refuse to return. Get this. I have paid attention and listened, but they have not spoken rightly. No man relents of his evil. God is sitting there just waiting like, come on, someone catch this. Please, someone catch this. Someone turn. Like it, it, you say to them, right, when men fall, do they not rise again? In other words, you, you, you have fallen. Will I not rise you back, raise you back up? Right? That's what he's saying. If one turns, does he not return? If you do not run away from me, would I not accept you right back? I'm here to listen. And no one relents. Again, a loving God giving every little opportunity as he can to prevent the promise. We're going to get there, okay? We're going to get there. But he's, he's, he's doing everything he can to prevent this. Because at the end of the day, the Lord would forgive. The Lord does forgive. But it has to be from the heart, right? It's a repentance of the heart, not just an action. Um, I don't know if anyone remembers the old Casting Crown song, um, Altar to the Door. Does everyone remember that song? I love that song. I like Casting Crowns too, but, uh, but the entire premise of the song is help me to basically stay with you, Lord, from the altar to the door. Like you come up here, you come to the altar, you ask for forgiveness for everything that happens, but by the time, the story, as the story goes in the story, in the song, sorry, is by the time he gets to the door, he's like right back at it. He's like, help me not to do that. But we don't even see that here. There's no relenting, no repentance. Nothing like that's happening. Let's go ahead and move forward. Jeremiah 17 Verses 9 through 10. The Lord through Jeremiah, and eventually, as we see later on, through Jesus, like I say, he looks through the pretense and he's looking to our heart. And this is what he has to say 17, 9 through 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, Search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Who knows your heart? Only God. I mean, he's, he's even saying here, you don't even know your heart. <laughs> right? He doesn't say, the Lord searches the heart along with your help. <laughs> no, that's not how it's written. He knows your heart but he's also the only one that can change your heart. 
And we'll get that here in a second too. And even if you're, you're listening to all of this, and let's say you're going to be listening to all the prophets that we have coming up. Like I said, it's going to be very similar stories over and over again. And you're going to think to yourself, you know what? I'm not sacrificing children. I'm not, I'm not doing all these evil things, right? But let's be honest right now. Everyone here has felt the sting of either your own or the consequence of someone else's sin in your life. Just think about it for a little while. When's the last time you were hurt because you felt like someone lied to you? When's the last time that you felt like maybe, maybe, maybe you lied and afterwards you're like, oh man, maybe I shouldn't have. Just something as simple as that, okay? Or, or maybe you're here and you're one of those kind of people, you walk through the forest and butterflies land on your shoulder and you sing songs to deer, okay? It's a very Disney type picture is what I'm going for, okay? But maybe you're that kind of person. At the very least, you can recognize evil in the world, okay? Let's recognize just here for a second that the building, the, the Kingdom Cafe, was broken into just a few weeks ago. On the, like this property, right, was broken into. Property was stolen from here. <laughs> like, we, we recognize that evil exists in the world, that bad things happen, right? We, we can recognize that. We can get there. We, we understand the idea that the heart is a deceitful thing. A deceitful thing. Like, we get that. That's not hard. Like, so why is it so hard for us to understand that the Lord God, the one who knows our heart, is the one that wants to change our heart? And all we got to do is recognize that it's a sinful heart. Like in some ways, it seems like a simple concept, right? It's simple, but it's hard, Right? So the Lord recognizes all that. He recognizes the evil that even exists in our hearts today. Absolutely. And in, at the time of Jeremiah, Yahweh was eternally committed to his promises to Abraham, to Israel, to David, which means, unfortunately for them, because of where their hearts were, this meant the dismantling of the entire kingdom. if not temporarily. God would allow Israel's structures to be wiped out. He, he would just allow them to be wiped out. And there's, there's much more um, there uh, because he also allows a remnant to come back and everything. But, and that's not where necessarily we're going today. If you're interested in that, um, Isaiah 10 is the story of that. We're about the remnant coming back and all that. Uh, feel free to read that. Like I said, we're, we're not necessarily going there this morning. But, um, but God is faithful to his promises. And that means either way, because obviously the promise I'm sure he'd rather keep is the blessing side. But unfortunately, there's another side to that. So everything that's happening, uh, and Nathan kind of touched on this a little bit last week, if we remember, like Israel agreed to this. This was a contract that Israel agreed to. And up until this point through Jeremiah and all, all these, the scripture that we've been reading is God reminding them, like, guys, remember, remember what you agreed to? Like, that, that's a promise I have to keep because I'm a God who keeps my promises. I am just, I have to keep it. But I'm going to give you every opportunity for me not to do it. How'd that work out? Yeah. So... 
Deuteronomy 28, 36 through 37 is, is where it is. You don't have, necessarily have to turn there or anything. Yet. I, just, I just want to read it real quick just so we know what we're talking about, okay? Um, the Lord will exile you. <laughs> the Lord will exile you and your king to a nation unknown to you and your ancestors. This was kind of touched on last week too. Did, did they know about Babylon at this particular moment? Did, did they, like, meh, right? Like Assyria was the big deal, right? But we're talking about a kingdom that's going to come in, even take over Assyria. Like this was a big deal. Unknown to you, there in exile, you will worship gods of wood and stone. You will become an object of horror, ridicule, and mockery among all the nations to which the Lord sends you. So the unfortunate thing is at this particular moment in time, the Lord has to keep his promise. And there it is in black and white. So obviously the next chapter gets, and the story gets really grim and really down, and we'll talk more about the exile later. We're not necessarily going to get into this morning. Uh, next week, like I said, we're going to get more into exile stuff, but uh, it gets really grim. It gets really bad, but the main thing that we need to see here is the reason why that the Lord had to keep this promise to, the, to begin with is because of an unrepentive heart of those in Judah and Israel specifically Jerusalem, all, right? That they didn't have that heart to actually turn from evil and go back to God. We'll see, like I said, we'll, story we'll see over and over again in the prophets. And it's a story we see even today. It's a story we see even today. This unrepentive heart, this, this need that the pride that's like, I've got this. I can do this myself, all of that. Like, what, what's really changed? Everything has changed. It's like nothing has changed, but yet everything has changed because the difference is now God has made a way for us to not have to partake in this promise in this way again. His wrath has been completely satisfied through his son, Jesus Christ. And that's our hope. That's what we get to live in now, right? If you put your faith, if you trust in what Jesus has done, the only person who could actually completely, fully, never ending, never again have to worry about it, anything like that, satisfy the wrath of God was himself. And he did that for you. He did that for me. He did that for all of us. Not so I can live for myself. Not that so you can live for yourself and be happy and be like, oh, great, I'm saved now. But so we can all live together in a new humanity, a new way of living. And this is the path. This is what he's made for us in his son, Jesus Christ. To where this idea of God having to come in and wipe out an entire kingdom because of a covenant promise. We don't have to worry about that again. That promise is completely fulfilled, right? The wrath is fulfilled. A justful, justified wrath. But we get that security of Jesus and his blood that comes over us and protects us from that. And just like back in these times, God is still sitting there like, I'm listening. I'm listening. I'm waiting for you to come and repent. I'm waiting for you to come and say, I'm sorry. I need you. Because by his grace, we are saved. 
Romans 5, 8, but God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that brokenhearted, in that evil heart that God saw we had, he still came and he died for us. And all he wants you to do is accept that. All he needs you to do is believe in that. Confess with your mouth that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior, and you will be saved. And that's what he's waiting for. So whatever it is that has put a burden, that has put some kind of barrier, that has that made it where you cannot have the Word of God grab a hold of your heart and accept what Scripture teaches us here. I pray this morning that maybe someone here, because God speaks to us through His Word, but can also speak with us through His body. Maybe someone here is feeling that in their spirit that they need to go and pray for somebody that is trying to fight and struggle with a barrier that doesn't allow God to speak into them. I pray this morning that you answer that. Because maybe you are the one voice that the word of God has gripped a hold of that can make a change. So in yourself, think about that. Like, what are my barriers? What's keeping me from actively allowing God in? And then, then just all of us too. Like, how, how do we see this in a new way? How do we live in this new humanity together? that we get through Jesus Christ? Great questions, right? I pray this morning that maybe some aspect of today's message has gripped your heart. And led you to maybe be that one voice that makes a change in your family, makes a, j- makes a change in your, maybe your marriage. Maybe you need to hear that. A heart that is not led by God is destined for evil. So maybe you're that one voice that needs to be gripped by God and make that change.